in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to the John DePietro Show. Right now, folks, at uh, 106, good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. This portion of the program on this uh, sunny Monday. Uh, sunny but cool. Very, very seasonal. It's just in the forecast. It's brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Folks, stop in and see them. They're waiting for you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery. Delicious food. Celtics game will be on in the lounge. Or you could sit out on the nice deck. Some uh, great days ahead at the Lodge Pub and Eatery on this uh, rather enjoyable day. Um, it's, uh, as you heard, it's, it's certainly been cooler than we expected. And I can't get over this wind. But as the week goes along. Um, I like that forecast. It, uh, starting on Thursday, what an uh, just enjoyable uh, number of days we're going to have of, of nice weather. All right, I want to bring you up to speed on the latest, folks. And again, if you visit the website, petro.com, we do have the um, latest now. And in, in it's getting a lot of talk, and people don't like to talk about it. Uh, but it has to do with how our elections are done. And... A lot of the talking points, you know, those, you can already see how upset they're getting. Many of them are already trying to get upset with this, like this Dawn Senator uh, Hoyer. I'm proud of the campaigns I have run. Seeing the challenges people had casting the vote was a reason that there weren't challenges. I want to sponsor legislation, make it more accessible. Here we go. The drumbeat of disinformation. For those we should overturn elections is dangerous and disingenuous. What is the point of having elections if they're not going to be legitimate elections? And that's what we're dealing with right now. So she can claim all this stuff and just some of her other uh, comments. I like uh, Kathy Gregg said to her, well, what was it? Was there anything in the, the story that was dangerous, disingenuous or incorrect? Like, what are you referring to? Everything in the story is accurate. She reported the, um, the, see, again, the false claims assertions. See, it's all the big lie, blah, blah, blah. It has nothing to do with that. This is a state senator paid someone $15 a vote. $15 a vote. And um, it's easy to make false statements on social media. Well, that's not true. Elon Musk knocks them off. The majority of states use voter signature to verify for good reason. Here's a good thread to folks who want to understand the facts. Yeah, except an X is considered a signature. Yeah, and that, that guy, Erickson, is, uh, he, that, he lost his mind a long time ago. Um, especially, you know, Ken Block went head-to-head with him uh, regarding... Some of the things that go on with our elections. Folks, now, you know, now it's going to be up to the Rhode Island Republican Party and some of the people running on if they're going to do anything about it. If they're going to do anything about it. So 
but but otherwise, what what is the point? What what is the point of what is the point of having elections if they're not going to be legitimate elections? I want to also play. This was on CBS Sunday morning. David Gergen was a guest. I've I've interviewed him before. He's very very knowledgeable, and he believes that what well, we need younger leaders in office. That there's just that some of the people in office right now are too old. To serve I want you to hear this. I can assure you that there are lots and lots of people out there who are better equipped to do it than I was. There aren't a lot of people going between R and D. There are not a lot of people. And then, yeah, if you want to see the results, I can show you the scars on my back. <laughs> David Gergen may be a battle-tested veteran of decades spent advising presidents, Republicans and a Democrat. But Gergen, who turns 80 tomorrow, doesn't hold back when asked to describe the state of democracy in 2022. We can't continue on the path we're on. It's unsustainable. He has a sense that we're like in a car at midnight on the edge of a cliff with rain falling and no headlights. Sound alarmist? Well, consider the source. David Gergen remains a Washington legend for his clear and steady appraisal of the times having guided Presidents Nixon, Ford, Reagan, and Clinton through critical moments in U.S. history. When you step back and look at all of this, is America in a political crisis or a moral crisis? That's a great question. That's a great question. I think it's a moral crisis. I, I, I really honestly believe these are moral questions ultimately. Gergen is reaching out to those who share his concerns with a new book, Hearts Touch with Fire, published by CBS parent company Paramount Global, Simon & Schuster. It's a call for a new, younger generation of leaders to seize the reins and to learn from someone who was so often in the room where it happened. Take me in the room with Richard Nixon. What's a lesson from your time with Nixon that applies today? Nixon was a man who was, in my judgment, the best strategist we've had in the last half century or so. But he also had demons inside him that he had not learned to control, and they eventually took him down. Always remember, others may hate you, but those who hate you don't win unless you hate them. And then you destroy yourself. You know what one of the most wonderful images is? Nixon getting on the helicopter. Yeah. And that night in Washington, life went on. Well, it did. Exactly right. I was there. I was on the lawn. I saw the helicopter take off. The transition of power yes. worked in August 1974. It did. it did. Not on January 6, 2021. Absolutely. And I think that is just a measure of how much we've changed. You've worked for Republican presidents. Do you have faith in Leader McCarthy and Leader McConnell? Yeah. I, I wish I did. I am looking forward to the day, which I think will come, uh, when the Republican Party will regain its balance. But the Republicans are not just dealing with an ideological battle. Yes. They have a former president yep. still on the march politically in this country, yep. pushing a lie. Yep. But there are various signs now that the power, the structure, the Trump in charge, that armor is beginning to fall off a little bit. He looks a little more ragged now than he did before. Gergen's call for new leadership includes our current president. Your book says it's time for the current generation of leaders, frankly, to get out. Uh, it's, time for the, for the exit. it's time for the torch to pass. 
it, it, we, there are some wonderful people who are in power. I, we, you know, mostly, you know, baby boomers. But the truth is, as a generation, the baby boomers, I think even to many of the baby boomers, has been a disappointment. President Biden, should he run again in 2024? In my judgment, sadly, I think that President Biden's time as an active leader will end with his term and should end with his term. She helped with the same message apply in the House and in the Senate, Leader McConnell, Speaker Pelosi. Absolutely. They might say to you, David, we might be near 80, but we can still do the job. We're, we don't need to go away. I think the proof is in the pudding on that question. I, I, if this is the job they say they're, they're doing so well, I think most people in the country would disagree with that. Our problem is we've had too many leadership failures, not too many successes. For more than 20 years, Gergen has taught leadership at Harvard's John F. Kennedy School of Government. Like the school's namesake, Gergen is a Navy veteran and sees military service as a character forming crucible, something missing from the lives of so many today. Do you believe young people are craving some yeah. kind of tough yeah. foraging yes. experience Absolutely. on leadership? Yes, I do. And I think you see it in some of the Parkland kids, you know, who've been coming back. I think we see it certainly in the, in the climate movement with Greta Thunberg. We see Malala overseas in Pakistan. And the other stream I would call your attention to are young black women who are occupying the high ground, you know, on things like Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement. But just down the street here in Cambridge at Harvard, you have so many ambitious students who are saying, I have to go into the private sector. A lot of young people feel like they don't have the time or ability to do national service. I, I agree. There, there are people who would do that. But we, we haven't offered it in a very big way. We haven't encouraged people to do it. Let's go back to and remember a predecessor organization. It's called the Civilian Conservation Corps. Planting is another important conservation measure. We had 250,000 young men in the woods. It was most popular program of the New Deal. When people serve when they're young, they tend to come back to it. After years of serving presidents, David Gergen now hopes to shape future ones. And while his eyes are fixed on tomorrow's leaders, the lessons of the past are always close at hand. You write about that picture of JFK leaning over the desk. Yes, yes. Our leadership models are evolving. That Kennedy really was the, that, that was the great man theory at you know in a picture. It's sort of a dusk, lonely figure, the burden of the world on his shoulders. Look at Obama. All right, that was um, folks again. David Gergen. Good afternoon. Right now at one sixteen on this thir- on this Monday. Excuse me, my goodness. On this Monday, folks. I hope everyone had a uh, a good Mother's Day. It's Monday. It's May 9th, and you're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. So, you know, I am very happy that at 117 on this Monday that I wrote a piece that appears in the Providence Journal that at the very least certainly has gotten some discussions going on social media about our elections. And the title of it is Many Reasons to Question Election Integrity. And what I'm seeing online are people that are just saying, oh, it's the big lie and blah, blah, blah. And we have, but they don't address a lot of the stuff. They don't address the fact that Gorbea, the Secretary of State, refers to, we want to make sure all Rhode Islanders can vote. It should be citizens. Listen, as we know, Providence, Pawtucket, Central Falls, they operate as sanctuary cities. They have a lot of people living in those cities who are not citizens, who should not be voting. But they are voting. 
because with Gorbea and Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos, they say, oh, no, all Rhode Islanders should be able to vote. Well, so someone comes here from, pick a country, Guatemala. Well, they're a Rhode Islander. Yeah, but they're not a citizen. Yeah, but they're Rhode Islanders, so they should be able to vote. I disagree with that. And the story that they're most upset about is, and I highlighted, was that special election in Newport. The special election in Newport, it was the Senate seat of Teresa Piva Weed when... Um, within she, it wasn't her, she left. They had a special election for her seat and a campaign. That, that's what opened my eyes to it. That's when I started to learn about ballot harvesting. And, and it's, that's, that's really what it, that's what got my eyes to it. So, Board of Elections votes to allow 230 mail ballots notarized by the same person. And there was nothing stopping it. And it had to do, the the date of the article is August 28th, District 13. Granted, she won by 686 votes. But what it came down to was there was one person who was responsible for notarizing 226 of the 230 mail ballots. She was paid $4,000, basically $17 a vote. So that is the definition of ballot harvesting, 100%. And that's, they don't like... They don't like when there's attention on this. They don't like when, because this, what this illustrates how it could be done. And then the next fall is when Ramundo had 60,000, and, and you know, they use the word mail ballots, but they're really not mail ballots, as I've said. They're not mail ballots. They're votes, and they put them in those drop boxes. So as much as, you know, again, I, even I'm using the word mail ballot, it's, it's not a mail ballot. All right, I want to hear some sound. This was um, a guest on The View says she has a 13-year-old child making TikToks about reproductive rights. How proud you must be. Let me hear this. Um, especially during the pandemic. What have you learned about yourself through motherhood? I mean, so many things, but um, that every cliche is true, that it just all goes too fast. And I can't believe that I have an almost 14-year-old who is, you know, making TikToks about reproductive rights. I've taught that kid well. And... Um, and an eight-year-old who's, who's you know. You know, that is, again, they can make whatever they want. Um, 60 Minutes had an interesting guest last night. Former Secretary of Defense Mark Esper talked about President Trump, I want to hear this, wanted to um, fire missiles at some of the cartels in Mexico. I think I have this. How come that's not playing? I thought I had it. 
pulls me aside on at least a couple occasions and suggests that maybe we have the U.S. military shoot missiles into Mexico. Shoot missiles into Mexico for what? He would say to, to go after the cartels. And we would have this private discussion where I'd say, Mr. President, I, you know, I, I understand the motive because he was very serious about dealing with drugs in America. I get that. We, we all understand. But I had to explain to him, we, we can't do that. It would violate international law. It would be terrible for our neighbors to the south. It would, you know, impact us in so many ways. Why, why don't we do this instead? You politely push back on the idea. Did President Trump really say no one would know it was us? Yes. Yes, he said that, and I I just thought it was fanciful, right? Because, of course, it would be us. I was reluctant to tell this story because I think, I I thought, people won't believe this, that they'll think I'm just making it up and folks in in, in Trump's orbit will will dispute it. And then I was having dinner after the election in 2020 with a fellow cabinet member, and, and he said to me, he goes, you know, remember that time when... President Trump suggested you shoot mes- missiles into Mexico. And I said to him, you, you heard that? He goes, oh, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe how, how well you managed and talked him down from that. And at that moment, I knew I got to write the story because I at least have one witness who will verify that this really did happen. When asked whether Esper's story about Mexico was true, Donald Trump said in a statement to 60 Minutes, no comment. Esper says to fact-check his book, he sent all or parts of his manuscript to more than two dozen current and former four-star officers, senior civilians from the Pentagon, and cabinet members. 60 Minutes spoke to six of them who said what they read was accurate. You know what I don't understand, though, folks? And again, good afternoon at 123. (sighs) Somebody has to do something about this cartel situation. We have terrorists at the border. I mean... President Trump, how would they even know if it was us? Someone has to do something. I mean, this is nuts how this is going on. And nothing is done about it. Mexico doesn't do anything. So I don't, you know, I don't know if that's the solution. Firing things over the border. But. I mean, something has to be done about this. How much more? Otherwise, we just continue like this. It just continues that we have these Mexican drug cartels that they are, uh, you know, number one, they help people invade our country. They help illegals get over the border. They also, by the way, manipulate many people down there. And they make them carry drugs and things over the border. Um, I, I mean, and, and why does it just have to continue to go along like that? So between fentanyl and, you know, obviously meth and coke and, and it's, it's, it's very, very organized. The illegal immigration because of the cartels, um, it's big business. It's big business, and I, I I agree. I mean, something has to be done about this. Um, not enough is being done about it, as a matter of fact. That's for sure, that nothing is being done about it. Not even close. It's also, have you seen where you, and I feel terrible for young mothers, you can't find baby formula in Biden's America. 
baby formula is nowhere to be found on the shelves right now. Um, I, I, um, I want to repeat what I've said. I believe, and again, folks, good afternoon on this Monday at 126, that this whole thing out of Washington with the Supreme Court, it, it really seems there's one mission, and that is to motivate and try to alter the midterm elections for the Democrats. It, it's tough to see it any other way. Um, and it's also, it, it's tough to, you know, what's, there's, Anything that's being discussed, people start going ballistic about it. Um, uh, until something, I mean, now they start throwing out, like, what about gay marriage? I, I don't, I mean, there's been a lot written, and, and a big part of this has been to try to put it back to the states and then let them figure it out. Let each state figure it out. Now, we're in a part of the country where it doesn't seem like anything would change. Other states don't seem to be in that same situation. Um, So I don't, I'm not exactly sure where that goes. But over the weekend, I mean, the activists were out and the activists were then Going to, you know, the homes of some of the justices, that that becomes mob rule. That absolutely becomes mob rule. Where I want to, um, let me just play. This is a uh, Chuck Todd on Meet the Press yesterday. A good Sunday morning and a happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, including my mother, grandmother, and wife. The draft decision. Overturning Roe v. Wade has only added to the growing perception that the Supreme Court is just one more partisan institution, now a creature of politics, no longer above it. The leaked decision was a victory for conservatives who have worked decades for this moment, and it was a shock to millions of Americans who have never lived in a world without abortion rights. In this morning's special edition, we're going to cover this story from all angles, the real-world fallout a confusing checkerboard of state laws that would soon be in effect, along with real questions about what other rights might be in jeopardy. The political fallout, many Democrats believe the issue will help them in the midterms, but the idea that overturning Roe would energize Democratic voters has never been tested. It will be now. Plus the court itself and its broken confirmation process, manipulated most recently by Mitch McConnell to manufacture this conservative majority that appears ready to overturn Roe in a country that apparently wants it preserved. With 50 states making their own rules, it all adds up to further division in a country already split in two. You know, one thing, there was a good piece in the Wall Street Journal, and folks, again, good afternoon, it's 1.30 on this on this Monday. Uh, Peggy Noonan wrote that it, it, it was a decision that was just never accepted. It was just never accepted a lot of other decisions that came down eventually um, were accepted, but it, it, it's just as divisive as it is now as it was when it came out. I want to play, though, um, this is interesting. This was a comment on The View. Uh, Republican women are easy to demonize. And 
This business of uh, let me let me just play this. This was on Fox, I believe, a little bit earlier. You know, a big smile on her face when she sees those clips. One Rana McDaniel, because let's take the first clip. Women who vote Republican. Let me tell you, women who vote Republican coming up in 2022, those women are curious about their kids learning ridiculous stuff in schools, and they're worried about their kids being victims of crime. So even if they are Republican, Democrat, Independent, they're going to vote Republican because the Republican Party is putting forward a platform that says, hey, we're going to keep this stuff out of your kids' schools. We're going to keep your kids safe. Secondarily, to the point on the black and Latino women, has she seen any of the recent polling specifically with regard to the Latino voter? And that was before all of this abortion shenanigans played out in the last week. Latino women, by and large, Catholic. Black women, by and large, very religious. Do you think that abortion play by the left is really going to push these individuals to the Democratic Party? Me thinks not. It's going to go the exact opposite way. The Republicans are going to be shocked with the number of voters they pick up this election when it comes to... I think that's interesting. Folks, again, good afternoon. It's um, 1.31 on this Monday. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Now, I also want to remind you, if you'd like to uh, reach me, if you'd like to get in touch with the program, easiest thing to do is go to the website dpetro.com, D-E-P-E-T-R-O.com, and then you scroll down a little bit, and then you'll see Contact John, and that's the most direct, easy way to get a hold of me. And then also, we have all our links to social media, whether it is Facebook or YouTube or um, Twitter or, or whatever. It's all right there on the website, which is um, dipetro.com. Now, I also want to um, mention that the the um, what's going on up in, in Providence, that, that person is still still at large right now. The individual that they were looking for, the serial rapist, has still not been caught. I, I mean, I, I know, that, and for whatever reason, there was, it seems like it was, a, it was a false alarm a little bit on Friday because they did arrest someone, but it sounds like it had to do more with uh, who it was that, that, that this individual was breaking into apartments up in that area. I want to hear, Ashley Kalis was on 10 News Conference. Um, I have not heard this. I want to here it's um i'm not sure that much on the anchor but let me hear how she handled herself also what people don't know um is that uh my husband was here for eight years uh he trained uh at brown and then started his practice at hasbro rhode island hospital uh we have a uh, a non-profit comedy platform that was started here and it has completed 15 missions to Peru and it had to stop during COVID but uh, we're hoping to start again. In 2008 we were engaged here. Uh, We hoped to start our life here uh, but we couldn't afford to. Uh, We had $250,000 in student loans so we had to leave Um, but we're back. We always wanted to come back and I love Rhode Island. So you said that you were here for eight years. In those eight years, is there anything political policy-wise that stands out in your mind that you remember that, you know, you thought I could come back later and make changes? Were you paying attention to politics back then? I 
I mean, I was younger. I was in my 20s, not as much as I am now, now that I'm a mom, now that I have children in school. All of these issues become much more relevant as you have children and you want to protect their future. Uh, definitely uh, having to leave where you want to be and go somewhere else makes an impact on you. You start thinking about the economy and growth um, and how that impacts you as an individual and how government can um, help with growth so that people like myself uh, can stay and don't have to leave for opportunity. And that's what I want for Rhode Island is I want our children to be able to stay in Rhode Island because there's enough economic opportunity here. There, um, there isn't now. There wasn't when I had to leave. And so when I've come back, it's the same stuff that it always was. And we need change. You label yourself as an outsider, and I feel like that's kind of the new hot term that candidates use just to kind of gain ground. So what specifically makes you a political outsider, and why do you think that that would resonate in a state where, let's be honest, there are barely any outsiders in office? Uh, well, I'm an outsider because this is my first time running for political office. I am not beholden to anyone. And we need that in Rhode Island. We need somebody that only cares about the people of Rhode Island and not the special interests. Do you think there's corruption in Rhode Island right now? Yes. FBI probe. Anything specific? Nothing specific, what? but I think that special interests and uh, insiders have uh, oh too much influence God. over government. And I think that we need somebody who only cares about the people of Rhode Island. And that's what you'll get with me as governor. I am not beholden to anyone, and I only care about the people of Rhode Island and doing what's best for the people. But can you name any special interest groups that are currently swaying politics in Rhode Island if you're saying this is what you're running on, being an outsider because you don't have this connection? Any special interest groups? I mean, there are tons of them. Just look, go look at the list of lobbyists and you'll be able to see who has uh, influence. It is, it is throughout the entire system that there are issues with insiders. And the result is um, the fact that our economy is that our education system hasn't been reformed, oh that there is an opportunity. God. So we don't need specific people. We have a system that has failed the people of Rhode Island. I want to move on to um, the COVID testing company that you ran here in Rhode Island. Obviously, this has been in the headlines recently. So the Rhode Island Department of Health said that they cut ties with your company because of receiving over 100 complaints. Those complaints range from the testing site closing early to long waits, um, people not getting their results back, staff not wearing masks. If this small company was such a challenge for you to manage as it seems, why should Rhode Islanders trust you with managing the state? So let me address that statement. We did over 426,000 tests, and I've heard about 100 complaints. And the first time I heard about it, too, was in the paper. Uh, so that is a .00023 ratio. I hear more complaints about Governor, uh, Governor McKee uh, on a daily basis. Do you think that the other companies in Rhode Island that have run these testing sites, would you say that they've likely received as many complaints? Is that something that you've looked into when you're arguing that, you know, out of all these people that we actually took in, these are the number of complaints? So I, I want to focus on that because I actually find that released rather um, upsetting. And it is upsetting because my workers worked very hard for Rhode Island. The lines, we didn't even control the scheduling. That was DOH that controlled the scheduling. The complaints are about their process. Way too inside. But our workers risked their lives for Rhode Island. I did as well. 
I uh, had to uh, go away from my children when my occupational risk was too high. So I find this attack to be completely unacceptable. Um, and it really um, is why we need an outsider. It's why we need somebody that is different that, that wants to make a change. Did you ever observe any of these complaints happening when you went to these testing sites because you were in charge? Did you see staff members not wearing masks or not changing gloves in between swabs on different patients? These complaints are likely false. We had compliance officers at all of the sites. I don't know what some person calls in and says, but I can tell you that if there was a complaint um, that got to our team... Can we, we pause it for a moment? Um, but remember... Just pause it for a moment. Folks, again, good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. I, um, I want to come back to that. I can't believe. We need somebody that owns. This is. Um, she asked for an example of corruption. How do you not mention McKee in the FBI probe? I want to play this again. Having to leave where you want to be and go somewhere else makes an impact on you. You start thinking about the economy and growth um, and how that impacts you as an individual and how government can um, help with growth so that people like myself uh, can stay and don't have to leave for opportunity. And that's what I want for Rhode Island is I want our children to be able to stay in Rhode Island because there's enough economic opportunity here. There, um, there is isn't now there wasn't when I had to leave and so when I've come back it's the same stuff that it always was and we need change you label yourself as an outsider and I feel like that's kind of the new hot term that candidates use Not just exactly, to kind of gain ground so what specifically makes you a political outsider and why do you think that that would resonate in a state where let's be honest there are barely any outsiders in office uh, well I'm an outsider because this is my first time running for political office. I am not beholden to anyone. And we need that in Rhode Island. We need somebody that only cares about the people of Rhode Island and not the special interests. Do you think there's corruption in Rhode Island right now? Yes. Anything specific? Nothing specific, but I think that special interests and uh, insiders have uh, too much influence over government. And I think that we need somebody who only cares about the people of Rhode Island. And that's what you'll get with me as governor. All right. Well, we'll see how that goes. Folks, good afternoon at 140. I'm trying to be rootful. I'm trying to root. I'm trying to be supportive. That's a tough one. Without question. Can you give me an example? All right, I'll play it again. I am not beholden to anyone, and I only care about the people of Rhode Island and doing what's best for the people. But can you name any special interest groups that are currently swaying politics in Rhode Island if you're saying this is what you're running on, State being an workers. outsider because you don't have this connection? Any special interest groups? I mean, right. there are tons of them. Just look, go look at the list of lobbyists, and you'll be able She's not going to go look at the list of lobbyists. Well, that's too bad. Hmm it to be done. We just need to get involved in help working families now. You were at the uh, forum with all of the other candidates running for governor yesterday, and you're the only candidate who does not support using state health care dollars to pay for abortion. That's obviously a hot topic right now with the leaked memo from the Supreme Court. Could this hurt you in this race? So let me... Hold on. It it was a, a leaked draft I guess I'll accept it, Memo. I don't know what to make of this answer. 
Let's be clear. I want to be very clear on something um, oh, about um, the ability to get an abortion. I think it's important. Um, nothing right. changes I, for. That's right. So I don't know why it's even. Tell you that if there was a complaint um, that God. Spent a lot of time. Plan to be governor. Okay, Ashley. So we have. In conflict with the health department that this person would have to work with, you know, whoever the governor is, they have to work with the health department. Well, the director is gone. The deputy director is gone and the head of testing is gone. So um, it's actually the other way around. Whoever is the head of the Rhode Island Department of Health has to work with the governor. In terms of the health department, it needs an overhaul. The leadership is is gone. It's changed. Now, in terms of working with McKee, I mean, you want to let's talk about the current governor, if if you'd like. Um, Gina Raimondo didn't talk to him for a year. Uh, his chief of staff had to resign. His DMV uh, director. Well, this is the corruption that you should have been talking about earlier. Now, <clears throat> it goes beyond. She didn't. Let me correct that is uh, Ashley Kalis. It's not that, <clears throat> excuse me, Ramundo didn't talk to him for a year. She didn't talk to him for his entire time as lieutenant governor, for crying out loud. Doctor was under investigation. Tony Silva. Uh, he is handing out uh, contracts and bonuses in order to get votes. And he's under uh, FBI investigation. Finally. So I don't think I'm going to have to work with him. I plan to be governor. Okay, Ashley, so we have lots of issues to get to as well, of course. All right, at least she finally mentioned the FBI probe. Now we're getting somewhere. Wow. See, was that that hard? Let me hear that last. I escalated those concerns. Let me hear that last part. The director is gone and the head of testing is gone. Handing out uh, contracts and bonuses in order to get votes. And he's under uh, FBI investigation. So I don't think I'm going to have to work with him. I plan to be governor. You're definitely not going to have to work with him. Just finally, when's that come in? Eight minutes, 22 seconds in. That is, folks, and again, good afternoon at 143. That's the Republican challenger, Ashley Kalis. All right. Well, we're finally getting somewhere. The magic words were finally spoken. F-B-I. See, that was not that difficult. Finally, as a matter of fact, where was that at the forum? Everything she just said was right. Everything she just said. I just wish it had been said earlier, as a matter of fact. So now Biden and Harris are having some kind of an event about high speed Internet. And they want to um, (laughs) offer it. To everyone, which is fine, but that—that's not what people are really. I, I, I don't know. I just don't think that's what they're focused on. Now, Providence Business says they wrote a piece: "Voters lose out if leading candidates don't attend debates." Yeah, but everybody attended. Um, you know. I don't know. I didn't think a lot was gained from it. Um, I don't think. Huh. An NPR report says the leading theory on the Supreme Court leak is a conservative clerk. What would they have to gain by that? I'm not convinced of that. Possible. 
possible. But I, I can't believe that this is now going to dominate the rest of the year. Um, so the, the whole election cycle, that's going to be the issue. Not even the baby shortage formula. Shouldn't that be? Or, or, or inflation or the price of gas and the price at the grocery stores. And why, I, I don't. Um, okay, here we go. Protests over the course of the weekend. I can't believe they're going to the houses. I want to hear this a little bit. Democrats said take action this week in an attempt to preserve abortion rights. And our congressional correspondent, Rachel Scott, is tracking it all. Good morning, Rachel. George, good morning. This is shaping up to be a critical week in the battle over abortion rights and what Democrats are calling the fight of a generation. Over the weekend, thousands of people took to the streets rallying to send a message to the conservative-leaning justices on the bench. Some gathering outside of the home of Justice Brett Kavanaugh and Chief Justice John Roberts. Those demonstrators, part of the majority of Americans who believe Roe versus Wade should be upheld. But across the country, if Roe is overturned, at least 20 six states would either ban abortion or severely restrict access to it. And leaders in those states say it would be a long time coming, George. And Rachel, given the divisions on Capitol Hill, this move by the Democrats to pass a national law to protect abortion rights largely symbolic. Right, George. Senate Democrats in just 72 hours will force a vote on legislation that would protect access to abortion for millions of women in this country, but it is almost certain to fail. Republicans appear united against this, but this is about getting every single senator on the record on where they stand on this issue. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said that if Republicans do take control of Congress this midterm election, it is possible that his party could pursue a national ban on abortion. And now Democrats are hoping to use his words as a rallying cry this midterm election, George. Rachel Scott, thanks very much. Yeah, I have, um, folks, you get the feeling that that's all we're going to hear about between now and November? Can I just hear about the baby shortage formula? U.S. is going to reach 1 million COVID deaths. Cases are rising in New York, New Jersey, New England. All right, let me hear this. Good morning, Eva. Good morning, Robin. This morning, as nearly every state in the country is seeing an increase in COVID cases, the U.S. is now inching closer to... A grim milestone. More than 997,000 people have died from COVID in this country, and it is likely we will cross the 1 million death milestone within the next week. The current hotspot for cases, the Northeast, that's New York, New Jersey, and all of New England. However, despite the rising cases, the average number of daily COVID-related deaths continues to drop. Right now, the average is 340 daily deaths. To put that in perspective, at the peak of Omicron, we were averaging 2,600 daily COVID-related deaths. So what can you do? Health officials say make sure you've gotten your vaccinations and boosters. 54 million Americans are completely unvaccinated. Another 91.5, about half of those currently eligible haven't gotten their boosters. Guys, have to keep that. In- you know, that is, um, folks, at this point, everyone's on their own. If you don't want to get it, then you don't have to get it. But everyone is absolutely on their own at this point. I don't understand the baby formula uh, shortage. Can I hear this piece? 
are coming together to help each other address the problem. Good morning, Ariel. Good morning to you, George. This is a terrifying prospect for so many families, and we've been talking about this shortage since February, but now some parents say they are facing a crisis, so they're leaning on the online community from Instagram to eBay to find supply. Leslin Holub is a mom to three-month-old son, Jack. Hi. Born a preemie, Jack requires formula to supplement breast milk. We landed on Gerber Gentle Supreme. We never saw it in the stores, but it was in stock everywhere online. But three weeks later, Leslin says that online supply seemed to evaporate. So, of course, you know, panic set in. Leslin's alarm shared by new parents from coast to coast amid a deepening nationwide formula shortage fueled by supply chain issues and a major voluntary recall back in February of three popular brands manufactured by Abbott. Those products pulled following reports that four infants developed severe illness and two died. The company says after reviewing all data, it does not believe their facility is the likely source of infection. In April, 40% of the national baby formula inventory was out of stock. Leslin now trying a European brand for Baby Jack. So we're slowly switching to that one. Um, so far, it's going okay. She's also relying on posts from Instagram pages like The Formula Mom for info about where to find supply. Some families also turning to sites like eBay, searching for what their babies need. One easy thing you can do is try to switch formulas, see if your child can tolerate that. If people out there are turning to the internet option sites or social media to get formula, you have to make sure that you're using an FDA-approved formula. FDA-approved to make sure that it is safe and it has the exact nutrient composition that young babies need. It is really critical to remember that, and Abbott tells ABC News it is doing everything it can to address the infant formula shortage, including prioritizing production, but there's really no clear timeline for when supply may be back to normal. Doctors say, in the meantime, be sure to check with your pediatrician before switching formulas. They can help you find the best alternative for your baby. Guys. Boy, that would be tough. That would certainly be tough. Well, folks, good afternoon at one fifty one. On this Monday, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. This portion of the program uh, is brought to you by The Lodge, Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Folks, delicious food, full bar, large dining area. You have uh, the the bar area, by the way, is going to be rocking with the Celtics game. Plus, they have the new big outside deck. They're waiting for you at The Lodge, Pub and Eatery. So, Right now at 152, it would seem that, um, boy, the markets are really, uh, stocks getting more ugly, as a matter of fact. And the uh, next round of primaries are a week from Tuesday. Week from Tuesday is big primary in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania is the, the um, next big primary. Now, again, if you want to know, how are they how are elections handled in Rhode Island? What's wrong with elections in Rhode? If you want to know, I wrote a piece that certainly is seemingly being talked about in this morning's Providence Journal that they printed it. There it is. Opinion to Petro, many reasons to question integrity of elections. That is exactly right. So um, you can read that. And then I also did put it on the, the Facebook page. But without question, it, um, 
it is something that people, folks, it needs to be addressed. And they, I know that they do not like that I use the term, but it's what it's misinformation that Nellie Gorbea put out, hundred percent, and selective information. None of it. Listen, why does it make sense that someone should be handling, um, you know, thousands of of ballots? What? Why? Why should someone, why should a campaign worker be handling thousands of ballots? The answer is they should not. It should be outlawed. So, and I wrote, I was appalled the amount of misinformation put out by Nellie Gorbea and the Rhode Island Board of Elections chairwoman. They were, how about the fact they repeatedly used the word eligible Rhode Islander instead of citizen? You know, again... That, it's all done by design. Don't ever think that, well, you know, that's just the, no, no, no. There's a reason why they use that term. Is because as we have talked about, and many of you know that in, in Rhode Island, there's many people that live here who are not citizens. They are Rhode Islanders. They're, well, they're considered Rhode Islanders. I mean, what they really are, what they really are, are people from other countries that have come to Rhode Island. But they should not be voting. Uh, They're not Rhode Islanders. They're people from other countries that have illegally come into our country and settled here. And or in Massachusetts. Remember, the, the, the man that... He, he turned himself in. I mean, I guess we can keep using the word allegedly, but he he turned himself in for hitting that woman. It was a hit and run, a fatal hit and run, as a matter of fact. A fatal hit and run. He has a Guatemalan passport and a Massachusetts driving license. And yet he lives in Providence. So, you know, what what are we to make of that? What is that all about? Um, he's not he's not here legally, and I also have a problem that law enforcement and the rest of the media they don't even go after them anymore on that. They never even you know that used to be a thing. It should have been it should always be regarding uh, whether or not someone is actually a citizen, especially when they commit a crime. But they've gotten away from that. I think as I've, I've told many of you that many times when I speak to law enforcement after a crime, they will tell me that I'm the only local media person that even inquires on citizen status. So I, I, I think that's, I mean, no one's going to convince me otherwise. It is part of the equation. It is absolutely part of the equation because I believe you can you could certainly make the argument that if you have someone who commits a crime and let alone if there's loss of life, if that person, if that individual were not in the country 
they, they wouldn't have committed that crime. Therefore, you know, I don't understand these people say, well, you, you can't you can't say they would still be alive. You don't. I, why, why would I not be able to say they would still be alive when they're here illegally, let alone sometimes they're caught. They should be deported. They're not deported. And then they commit the crime. So I disagree with that. So you can read it. It is in um, this morning's Providence Journal. And then I did post it online, social media. But what I like is it is being discussed. It is being discussed and, and other people are starting to realize. I, I still come back to, and I wrote about it, but it was that that 2017 special election, Senate election in Newport, where one individual was able to, um, one person working for a campaign collected 230 votes. And that was a special election. There was a short window. So 230 votes, um, I, I believe, we should not have a system where campaign people, number one, are handling ballots. And number two, they also want to get rid of the whole notary. There'd be nothing from stopping someone from collecting 1,000 votes or someone that collects 5,000 votes. And I also, it's disingenuous for the campaign to just, well, you know, they're just collecting ballots. They're actually not. They're paid per vote. Um, They're not paying them to, you know, it's like the scene of Moneyball when he said, well, no, I like to steal. And then Billy Billy Bean, Brad Pitt says, well, no, I, I, I pay to get on base, not thrown out at second. No more stealing. So I, I would I would say I'm not paying you to go out and collect vote ballots. I'm, I'm paying you to go out and collect votes and votes for our campaign, period, end of story. So this business of, oh, no, we're No, no, that's that's why we have you. All right, folks, listen, it's 159. It's John DePietro. Listen, enjoy this Monday. We're going to do uh, we will do Facebook Live later. Stay tuned for the two o'clock news. We're back on the radio. WNRI, one socket. W-N-R-I.